It is Thursday, the 22nd of July, 2012. Today's show is a Swapcast. But hey, right now you're listening to the Handsome Genius Club Radio Show. Hey kids, welcome to the show. My name is Kingdom, Anthony Kingdom James. And uh, yes, today is a Swapcast with uh, my good friend Bob Tarantino and his show called, appropriately enough, Bob Got a Microphone. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, yeah, I don't want to... I know Bob and I in... In the, uh, the episode, we're gonna go into how we know each other. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I don't wanna double up on that. Let me tell you what's going on with me before we get into the, the swapcast itself. Uh, my brother is in town. Got to have dinner with him, uh, Tuesday night. And I'll be seeing him again. He's here, uh, he's here for the Olympics. He's here in Toronto to do uh, play by play for three on three basketball for CBC Sports. And they're, they're not sending, uh, they're not sending anybody to the Olympics. I don't think they're sending, I really don't think they're sending anybody over there. I think it's all being done, um, as, uh, pool broadcasts. Um, which I don't know. Would they, that would be how most of it would be done anyways. I don't, I don't know. What am I, what am I, some kind of a professional broadcaster? Two, three, four. Is this thing on? Um, hmm. So, yeah. Pete's here. So, hopefully, while he's in town, if he's not too busy, because, you know, he does have to prepare for broadcasts, but if he's not too busy, we'll, we'll get him on for a show and we'll talk about the Olympics. Uh, hopefully the Olympics do not turn into a gigantic disaster on the pandemic side of things. Uh, though cases are already turning up and that ain't good kids. All of Tokyo is in a state of emergency, but thousands of athletes are coming to the city to compete. That ain't good. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, the Seattle Kraken, the, uh, NHL expansion team, uh, they announced their roster. I, um, I only knew one player from the list of leaks, uh, and I can't even remember his, name right now uh, yeah i gotta go to i gotta go to tsn.ca all of a sudden real quick uh kraken un uh, reveal okay here we go um the only name that i thought i was gonna know was carrie price but carrie price the montreal canadians goalie is still uh out uh after a knee injury so they did not take him because his price tag is just ridiculous. He's 33. That's not bad. But his price tag is just too huge coming off of a uh, a major knee injury where he missed most of the season, apparently. Uh, Jordan Eberle from the Los Angeles – or excuse me, from the Los Angeles? What's the matter with me? From the New York Islanders. He's a, he's a winger for the New York Islanders. Or he was a winger for the New York Islanders. He's now a winger. For the Seattle Kraken. And that was the only name I knew. <laughs> Let me just uh, scroll through the list here and see if anybody else was named that I have. Nope. Nope. Didn't know. No. Didn't know another one of these names. 
Wowzers, dude. Just wowzers. Uh, so, here is my thumb far away from the pulse of hockey, of pro sports. Anyways, uh, I'm looking forward to Seattle Kraken, just because they have an excellent team name and excellent jerseys. Uh, what else? Is there anything else I can tell you about? Um Tomorrow, I will say tomorrow on the Patreon exclusive show, I should have um, updates on some of the creative projects that I've got going on. The movement is being made. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. All right. That's it. Enough wasting time. Uh, let's hit the record scratch and we'll get into it. The Swapcast with Bob Got a Microphone. All right. Anthony Ruckgazer. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for joining the fun. <laughs> is your your most NPR voice ever, Bob. This is all this is the only thing I bring to the table is, is the microphone and the voice. Oh, I decided that I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with the first review I see on Google and I'm gonna buy a blue yeti. Yeah. <laughs> That's hundred percent what happened. Well, I, actually I, I should um so there's a, a lawyer who I was I, I know guy named brent arnold and uh mm-hmm. so very early on in the pandemic once everything sort of got locked down and people were doing zoom and stuff i was on a conference call with him or something and he had the blue yeti and i it was like i was floored like i was like i've that's incredible and so like i was like the sheeple that sort of like went to amazon clicked on the the button got my blue yeti i was just so happy with it and then it sort of sat there for a year just staring at me oh. saying, saying like when are you going to use me and here we are. And here we are. Here we are. So you're okay. so prolific in, in a lot of ways that I, uh, I sort of struggled to figure out how to start this. But I, I think maybe an appropriate kind of entry point is, is your Twitter bio. So uh-huh. when I look at your Twitter bio, it's comic book writer, uh-huh. almost retired pro wrestler, yeah. Lego builder, nerd. Yeah. So is that sort of in chronological order or like order of importance? Like how, how do I, what, uh, where do I fit all those different aspects of the things that you do? Uh, that's in order of uh, what I think might be making me money at some point. Comic book writer is, is what I'm uh, trying to pivot to full time. Wrestling is always going to be there because wrestling is, wrestling is like the mafia. Uh, nobody, nobody gets out. Once you're in, you can't leave. Oh no. You're, you're you're in it for you're in it for life whether you think so or not lego is just the thing i do that um you know keeps me from committing other crimes and uh nerd is just a state of being i like yeah. it and so almost retired pro wrestler though like is that is retirement oh, something well, you're, Bob, you're striving for or is like, no, are, it's they, not, are they I, imposing I, it on you is, no nobody <laughs> can impose anything on you in professional wrestling no it's just the fact that i'm I'm 50 and poorly maintained. So there's only so many matches left in me. Wrestlers, we we refer to it as a bump card. And there's only so many more bumps I'm going to take before I just say, yeah, you know what? I'll just uh, I'll just write the shows. I'll just promote. I don't need to. I don't need to be in there ever again. Let, let somebody younger and faster do this. But yeah, there's still I've still got a few. Still got a few matches left in me, I think. Right on. I remember. I think I saw you once at the Mod Club. Um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That uh, 
which is now the Axis Club. Right. It's just reopening. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I did a I did a handful of shows at the Mod Club. It was uh, that was a good venue. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what the new spot. place is going to be like. So. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, in terms of pro wrestling, you when I look at your bio, like you've played a lot of different roles in there, right? Like you you've been yeah. in the ring, you've you run the Union of Independent Pro Wrestlers. It's yeah. uh, so you've you've done a lot. Like, how did that? I have done everything in professional wrestling, literally everything in professional wrestling, except I've never refed a match in front of a crowd. I've never had a steel cage match myself. Hmm. And uh, and that's it. Yeah. Those are the only two things of any interest <laughs> that I have not done in professional wrestling. OK. And so we'll have to talk in a little while about your list of 101 things in a thousand and one days. Okay. And I want to see if either of those are on that list. But so did did professional wrestling. So you and I are sort of roughly the same age. I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you. Um, yeah. Rub it in, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> so. To back. me, wrestling <laughs> and comic books were sort of, uh, they came into my life sort of around the same time. Right? Yeah, mine as well. Yours as mine well. as well. Okay. Yeah. And so what were, but at what point, so, I mean, it goes without saying, at no point was I ever under any sort of illusion that I was going to get into a ring uh, mm-hmm. because I'm just not capable of it. So at what point did it become a reality for you that, you know, that was something you were going to do? Oh, Wow. I don't know if it was ever not a reality. Uh, once I got interested in wrestling, it was something I wanted to do. So I did it. I, it remained a desire long enough for me to actually do it. And it didn't take all that long after I got into uh, interested in wrestling for me to do it. I think I, I probably started watching wrestling when I was 13. And um, by 17... You know, uh, just just before, yeah, probably probably just before my 18th birthday, I ring announced my first show. Hmm. So, yeah. And then when did you actually get into the ring as a wrestler? I was already in the ring at that point, working out, trying to learn. And uh, but I my first actual real match in front of any kind of crowd would have been. Well, really, I mean, I had a match when I was six, 16, no, 17, March of March of 89, I want to say. And uh, and then uh, ring announced for a while and got out of wrestling for a couple of years and in 95 came back to it. And in uh, spring of 95 is when I um took to it in earnest and like decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do for a while. So that's an interesting time in kind of the history of wrestling, right? Because 95 is sort of, so it's after the WWF has had its big kind of eighties run with, you know, Hogan and Macho Man. It's kind there. I mean, maybe I'm overstating this, but my recollection is like WWF has kind of on a, had a downturn through the early to mid nineties in terms of popularity. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's a rise at that point of, you know, like ECW and other independent promotions, which Mm -hmm. when you kind of graph it onto the nineties, like, Oh yeah. Like this sort of notion of like alternatives kind of comes through in rock music and in, in hip hop and, and in wrestling, like there was much more attention paid to those 
indie promotions and there, there sort of seemed to be this revitalization of, of wrestling. So what was it like to kind of, and, and it seemed like that was a time where doors were opening, like people could get, you didn't have to be six yeah. foot seven and, you know, 320 pounds and on, you know, on a lot of steroids. Um, so what was it like being there in that kind of sweet spot at that age? Well, I started, uh, I started working in the States at the beginning of 96, first in, in uh, Detroit and then Ohio and then Pennsylvania in 90, towards the end of 96, beginning of 97. It was great. I mean, uh, Detroit was, Detroit was, was, uh, was hot. We were working, uh, we were working there a couple, three times, a couple, three shows a month. And, you know, name, you know, it was still a time where names could come in if they were depending on their contracts with bigger promotions, they could still work indie shows. So every once and then there were guys that were just rotating in and out of, of bigger promotions that were, that were coming in and working shows. So you were getting the, you're getting to meet people and see people. And there was, there was work. If you, if you connected with the right people, you know, you could, you could work, you could, you could wrestle. For me, the height of things was probably, I was doing well in 96 and 97. And then probably 99 was like the real height of 99, 2000 was the real height of things for me where, you know, I was working two or three times a week and I was doing New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Ohio and I made, I had made a trip to Kansas one time for live TV and it was, it was great. A lot of good people, a lot of people that I'm still friends with today, all these years later. And uh, cause nobody ever really gets out. <laughs> so it, it was fantastic seeing a lot of friends make their way to the big show and, and getting to go places and have fun and, you know, be a be a degenerate in my late twenties, and <laughs> and it was it was good. It was good. That's great. And so, I mean, look, we're on the cusp. You know, we're we're sort of chatting in in July of twenty twenty one. We're on the cusp of live events coming back. I mean, yeah. res- wrestling for the last year for fifteen months or so has been like a, watching it has been a really weird experience. Um, so I imagine you must be really looking forward to to actual live events. Like, do you still attend shows as a fan? Or yes and no. I will uh, when if the WWE sets up in town for a weekend. Uh, I you know for a pay per view or something. I will usually end up going to the Saturday night, which always ends up being NXT. You know, I've got a friend. I, I've got I've got friends on the roster who will you know shoot me some tickets and I'll take a friend and we'll go down there. We'll watch the show. And I end up sitting there watching the production all around more than I'm watching mm-hmm. the, the actual event. Uh, but, um, and then I'll occasionally go to uh, local shows that I'm not booked on to see people or hang out. I don't do a lot of that, but I, it, it happens just, you know, sometimes it's Saturday and Hey, you know, what are you doing? Yeah, I'll come see the show and hang out and see people. But now a little less of that, a little less of that, but still happens. A bit. And so in terms of that product that's being offered now, like, do you have a preference? I mean, so you mentioned Ring of Honor, you mentioned NXT. So for, for listeners who uh, don't know, like those are NXT is maybe the developmental 
sort yeah, of is, is that the right way of describing it's, it? It, it, the, it it started solely as a developmental league and then it's evolved into its own television product so it is uh it is akin to a i always think of it as baseball in baseball terms it's akin to a triple a franchise yeah so nxt that i i enjoy that product it's booked differently than raw or smackdown but the only real television product that I am watching regularly these days is AEW, just because it's new and it's a new roster. And I have, I have different friends that are on that roster. I like to see, I'm just a little, I, I've, I've, I've grown, I've grown a little tired of uh, what the WWE is doing. I love, I love my friends, but you know, listen, if I have friends who act, if they're in a, if they're in a crappy movie, I can't pro- still a crappy I movie. Can't, <laughs> I can't promise to watch it just because you're in it. Right. You know, so <laughs> quality must be maintained. Right. And so, I mean, I think this has also applicability to your career as a comic book writer, which we'll get to in a bit, but mm-hmm. given your involvement as a professional wrestler and, and the, the different roles that you've played, are you able to just enjoy wrestling as a, as an sure. artist? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. New Japan. I haven't been watching as much New Japan the last year, uh, but New Japan especially is great for me for um, suspending my disbelief and getting into the show as a spectator as opposed to, you know, like a critic. Yeah. As opposed to tearing it apart. (laughs) And so to me, there's sort of, there's a lot of parallels between wrestling fandom and comic book fandom right like they're they're sure they're both not insular communities but they're communities that kind of reward having a a sort of deep historical knowledge of like the art form Um, and there's lots to learn right like you can you can dive really deep into wrestling you can dive really deep into comic books Mm-hmm. As a as a comic book writer, does or in what ways does you know your performance as a wrestler or your or your knowledge of wrestling inform your writing? Very much for fight scenes. Okay, <laughs> I have, I have, uh, I have scripted some fight scenes, and there is one in particular in the second volume of uh, my comic, The First Hero, that before I. Uh, before the pages with the with the fight itself, I explained before the fight scene itself, I went into a short uh, diatribe about how a wrestling match is put together so that I could better explain uh, what I was talking about with my artist, Danny Zabal. And I, you know, I laid it out for him so that I laid that out, that framework out for him so that in the fight itself, he would understand why what was happening was happening the way it was happening. There we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, um, it, it informs, it informs uh, in big and small ways. That being a big way in, in the way I wrote, you know, uh, write some particular scenes, but in small ways in that there have been a handful of wrestlers who have made it into my comic book as uh, comic books as various characters. A large 
one of the uh, major set pieces in the first volume of the first hero was ECW Arena in Philadelphia. The character ended up being based in Philadelphia solely because, almost solely because, I had a scene in mind where an out-of-control, super-powered kid literally blows the roof off the arena. And it was, uh, and I thought, okay, and there's the overpass right behind it. And I know Swanson and Rittner and the streets. And I pictured the scene from, from the kid losing control of his powers to the building being blown up with people in it, to the cops arriving, to how the villains would escape, because I knew that neighborhood. And I wanted it to be in an American city. So Philadelphia, and that ended up informing, once I decided on Philadelphia, a lot of other dominoes in the storytelling and the world building fell into place. So, yeah. I love it. So now I'm going to, not to put you on the spot, but mm. I I have those comic books. I, you just saw me uh, hold yeah. up the trade paperback. Um, yeah. One of the things that you mention in sort of the back pages of that issue Mm-hmm. is the story what well, you you allude to a story which you never actually tell and so i'm going to see if i can yeah, I love, tell I it love, now i love i love doing that all right so this <laughs> this is the porn the porn industry connection okay so do you remember saying is, is that a story you're able to tell now oh yeah yeah right. uh i was yeah so I, hit us I hit us with the the, oh, it's there it's, used to be a rock and wrestling connection. I want to know the well, porn and wrestling connection. <laughs> the reason I first worked in ECW Arena was after the death of ECW, was for a company called Extreme Pro Wrestling (XPW), uh, run by a uh, run by I don't want to say his name anymore. Run by a guy who ran a a porn company in Los Angeles. And the company was based in Los Angeles, but uh, aiming for national expansion, they hired uh, Shane Douglas and one of my mentors, Cody Michaels, to help run the company. And almost the first thing they did was start running in Philadelphia at ECW Arena. And I became the East Coast uh, ring announcer. Because I, I say East Coast because we, we never made it back to L.A. under my tenure. I think I think fellow by the name of Ron Head H E D, who was their original ring announcer. I think he did the the L A reunions. But I digress. So the company, the porn company, was funding the wrestling company. And at one point, the owner of uh, of these two companies went on a national news program in the, in the United States and challenged the then Attorney General John Ashcroft to come after him for on obscenity laws, obscenity charges, which they did, and they won, and he went to prison. Jesus, what the hell were they making? <laughs> they were making some wild, wild stuff. They were pushing, they were, they were the leading edge of what was called gonzo porn. Uh, we're not going to act. We're not even going to pretend there's a script. We're just going to go hog wild. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, yeah. The, the United States government went after the clown and sent him your boss just to be clear. (laughs) Yeah. But let's not, 
let's not give him that much credit. Okay. <laughs> he's to this day, he's a, he's a wackadoo. Mm. So, uh, and, and it looks like he might bring the company back and I wouldn't, uh, I would tell people you stay, stay away from XPW at this point, at this point, if it's just this guy in his own stay away. But, um, yeah, that was, you know, that, <laughs> that was, uh, that was who I was working for. They were, they were funded by a porn company. Man, what are you going to do? Everybody's got to make a living. Everybody's got to make a living, make a living however you want. Exactly. Just, you know, don't be a crazy no bastard. Don't be a crazy bastard while you do it. Is all <laughs> don't get thrown in jail for obscenity. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't, don't challenge. You know, I fought the law and the law one is basically should right. be his entrance music. There's a moral right in the song title. Like you, everything <sighs> you need to know about the song is right in the title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you talked before a little bit about constructing wrestling matches. Mm-hmm. And, and I think just for, for people who don't know, just to transition over to the, the world of comic books, that's how I met you. I met you uh, in Ty Templeton's uh comic book course uh yeah comic book comic boot camp at, yeah comic book boot camp at the comic book embassy yeah. um and so i remember you know it was a small i, I don't know how many people were in our class like it's either 12 or 15 or something like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and i remember you know quite vividly because we used to sort of workshop stuff in the class and i remember quite vividly yeah. you being the guy that everybody was like, oh yeah, no, he's going to make it right. Like this is the guy who has got it figured out and you did, right? Like you are a comic book writer. I'm, I'm people can't see this, but I'm holding one of your trade paperbacks. There's four volumes of the first hero. No, three, three, three volumes of the first hero. Okay. There's a crossover called action verse. That's that comes in between volumes two and three. That Mm -hmm. might, that might be why you're thinking there's four. And there is uh, the first volume of Heroes of Homeroom C. But I have been uh, largely quiet on the scene since Homeroom C, which is like three years. And in the process of uh, in the process of of doing Homeroom C, I decided this is right now my best shot. This is this is the best bullet in my gun. I should be doing something more with this. So I started contacting friends in the business and saying, I need to advance. What do I do? Who do you know? What should I be doing? And a friend of mine named Jamar Nicholas introduced me to the woman who is now my agent. And we have had a, at first we were talking about um, Homeroom C. And then somewhere along the line, she introduced me to an editor from a book publisher I was uh, I was at TCAF, like, sorry, it, it, Toronto Comic Arts Festival for, yeah, for anybody who yeah. isn't familiar with the scene. No, thank you. And he and I spoke, and he said uh, he basically he said to her, "Does he have a wrestling story? If he's arrested, does he have a wrestling story?" And I said, "Yeah, hold my beer. I'll be right back." And I wrote something, and then we kind of decided it was a little too fantastical and. It was about a family of luchadors, family of Mexican wrestlers. And we, we kind of decided that might end up being cultural appropriation. So I stripped it down and started again and came up with the book that I'm working on now, which has been rewritten and written and rewritten. I think it's like eight or nine times and honed and fine-tuned. So there's been times, there's been a few times where I've 
put it down and gone to another uh, something else in my life, some other project, and then come back. And uh, the last few months, I have needed to do an edit of a of an eight thousand word treatment down to a fifteen hundred to two thousand word piece for a pitch proposal. And I've just been I've just been blocked on it. I I've I've started it three or four times. Uh, I've hated it. I've hated what I've been writing. It's like just veered off course somehow. So I'm bringing I've 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 had to accept that, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a village. So I'm bringing in an editor to we just shook hands on it to re, to write this shortened version of this for me so that I can just I can move forward. Uh, and then I've got uh, a, I've got a, a comic book project I'm planning to draw myself um that i'm i'm having somebody come in and another thing i shook hands on with somebody this week was have somebody come in and do layouts for me i just need just you know he he has more experience with laying out the page and that's what i need lay out the page draw me some stick figures draw some quick lines for perspective uh if i'm gonna throw in backgrounds uh, you know wind me up i'll go i need i need the jumping off point and I, out of the blue, had an artist contact me saying, hey, are, are you looking for anybody? And I looked through his stuff and I thought, okay, I've got a half dozen first issue scripts sitting around doing nothing. Like I have to blow the dust off of some of them. And it's stuff that I've wanted to get to. So I'm going to talk to this kid uh, later tonight and uh, or tomorrow time difference. If I get the make if I can make a deal with him, get the first few pages, I will uh I'll announce the launch uh the the countdown to the to a Kickstarter. And uh I want to in the next 6 to 12 months, I want to have first issues for at least three properties in print and I want to have a deal for my graphic novel. I know you mentioned that I think your gateway drug into comics was uh, uh, the the Wolverine limited series, the Chris yeah. Claremont and Frank Miller. Yeah. So those are two, you know, for comic book fans, those are two sort of icons in the industry. One as a writer, one as an artist and writer. Who are the people that you're sort of, who inspire your work and you're sort of like, oh yeah, I, I want to do that. Wow. Uh, I mean, for me, that early Claremont stuff will always be a cornerstone for me and, and Miller and uh, John Byrne, probably um, who else? I mean, there are, I, I can think of artists that I, I really love, but as far as, as writing and, and, and stuff that like to this day still catches me, Watchmen and Dark Knight and like 1986 is, the, just the best Big year, year pivotal year <laughs> yeah uh and there are people who i mean you know none of none of this happens without the likes of stan lee and and jack kirby but yeah you know you always remember uh the stuff from when you first when something first caught your heart and for me that kind of stuff is is claremont writing x-men burn drawing x-men and then doing fantastic four and alpha flight mm-hmm. um uh, miller doing daredevil and uh and dark knight returns yeah that's just uh, the you know batman year one miller and, and mazicelli 
God, I love that book. That is that is actually one of my favorite books ever. You're that one, is, Batman. You're one. Yeah, it's probably yeah. top three for me. Nice. Um, so that yeah, that's the stuff that I like. I would like to do something that I'd love to redefine a character the way that Miller redefined Batman. And people now talk about, well, Batman doesn't use guns. Well, Batman doesn't use guns because Frank Miller had him breaking a rifle in half. Right. You know, that's why everybody thinks that's why everybody on the planet now thinks Batman doesn't use guns and they get all up in air when when they see him in a movie using guns, you know, because Frank Miller put that stamp on. Right. So, so, so Marvel or DC call you and they're like, all right, we want you to we'll, we'll give you, you have your choice. Alpha flight. Really? That's it. Yeah. I my agent took me to uh, Marvel's offices in what was it? 2018. I had a small handful of pitches with me before being told, you know, we're not, we can't take pitches from you. Like, I didn't even get to ask, can I pitch you something? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, definitely Alpha Flight. I, I have a, I, I know what I want to do with Alpha Flight. And so for, for listeners who don't know, Alpha Flight was created by John Byrne, who himself yeah. was Canadian, and Alpha Flight was a, a Canadian super te- superhero team that was robustly Canadian, right? Like it, at a time when Canadian content was not as widely sort of available or the, like they were the first Canadian super team that I know published by Marvel Comics, like a spinoff from, from X-Men, which was like, you know, the most prominent, biggest selling title uh, of, in the line. So I'm, I'm, is it, is there something about their Canadianness that, that sort of Oh yeah, speaks yeah. To you I mean, that was, that was uh, a thing that very much spoke to me uh, when I was young and that book first came out. And I was like, okay, a Canadian super team. This is going to be awesome. A Canadian super team fighting crime in Canada. Does every supervillain have to live in the Bronx? Does all crime have to happen in Manhattan and Brooklyn? Right. Like, I mean, not even Staten Island. <laughs> all <laughs> super crime in the Marvel Universe takes place in four of the five boroughs. So, um, you know, for the love of God, give me a break. Uh, (laughs) I love it. So, yeah, so I got very interested in Alpha Flight and the fact that it's been done, sorry to whoever I am lambasting right now, it's been done so poorly over the past couple of decades that they can't maintain the book on a consistent basis. You know, is is Jim Zubkovich the first Canadian writer to work on the book since Byrne? I know there's got to be at least one other, but I mean, you know, Byrne left, Bill Mantlo took over, and whoever else has written it ever since. And I know that, you know, the Marvel version of Canada was some kind of weird, secretive fascist regime for a while. It's like, what the? They're constantly experimenting on people, right? Yeah, give her, give her like I mean, but the government was it was like we were North Korea for a while. Right. Do you do you have you ever fucking been to Canada? <laughs> like, I mean, I it's not it's not always a garden party, but it's it's not a it's not a Bundist party. <laughs> Puns. So uh, no, but it, it just it pissed me off. And I thought I had a way to do it that would be cool and start something but i never even got a chance to pitch it so maybe someday yeah maybe someday it'll happen your publishing 
imprint, your your publishing company. So First Hero, for example, was was mm-hmm. published by um, 16, 16 hectares and a moose. Well, no, that was just listen. Uh, I I had a I had a catchy studio name, right? The studio right. studio of one. The, the the first two volumes of the book were published by Action Lab, right? Out of uh, Pittsburgh, and then we did the Action Verse crossover with uh, it was me and Jamal Eigel and Ray Anthony Height and Vito Del Sante. You know, on and on and on. We did. We combined five books to create a superhero universe. So when the company said, "Who's going to be first out of the gate after the crossover?" And my hand shot up. I can be ready with volume three. We'll, we'll just, I'll just roll Marco out of uh, our issue of Action Verse and straight into volume three, which we did. I, I I have I have problems with I have problems with some indie publishers, mm-hmm. and I'd rather for my comic books I'd rather do it myself and and uh, kickstart them and get get them into people's hands. If it's if it's only two or three hundred people, then it's still two or three hundred people that I've dealt with directly, right and done something to entertain them as opposed to breaking off breaking off a a a big financial chunk or giving away the store to an indie publisher who puts in no effort and sells the same number of copies right you're getting more in your own pocket more of the more of the revenue in your own pocket if you're if you're the publisher right i'm getting revenue in my own pocket as opposed to none right you know and then uh and then, I mean, I've, I've, I've had dealings with other companies who uh, luckily I didn't sign things with. So that I was able to walk away uh, who, who make Action Lab look like Marvel. You know, I was eager to work for a Canadian company at one point, And then they just repeatedly shit the bed, including their publisher once drunkenly calling me a quote unquote fucking idiot on the phone because I wasn't signing his shitty, shitty contract. Oh. A, co- a contract which came to me as cut and paste nonsense from other contracts that <laughs> I had. To, yeah, I had to pay. Well, you know this because you mm-hmm. set me up with the dude that my that my lawyer <laughs> had to rewrite for me. And then in the meeting where we were supposed to sign the contract, they changed the numbers on me. They changed the numbers on me at the at the signing meeting, nice. and and then a few days later, uh, the publisher called me an effing idiot <laughs> on the phone because he was gassed. He was just gooned. All right, so what's grosser, the the independent wrestling scene or independent comic publishers? Independent wrestling. Oh, really? <laughs> that was a you had that holster, eh? <laughs> wrestling, wrestling is wrestling is grosser because there are still people clinging on to the old school mentality of like the 40s and 50s and 60s uh you know drink all night handful of pills you know you got a concussion walk it off Mm. that kind of nonsense Mm. there's still they because it, it comes from professional wrestling comes from the carnival tradition it's a bunch of carnies in a lot of in a lot of cases. So there's still people who are just like I mean, mm, mm. just mm. just <laughs> just fucking sweethearts. There you go. Well, see, With, you're, a gla- you're a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's just what's it half full of? Right. <laughs> so yeah, 
you know, in in the end, in the end, um, you have to make decisions to protect yourself because if you won't protect you, who the hell will? Right. And you know, there's there's some people. You know, I've been the guy myself who has meant well in dealing with somebody and still come out like holding an empty bag. Right. Right. If I have, if I have somebody, it almost sounds like a Ponzi scheme. If I have somebody above me promising, yeah, this is going to do well and make money. And I, somebody below me, I say, I'll break you off 40% or 50% or 60%. Well, 60% of nothing is nothing. Yeah. So, (laughs) so when the, when the guy above me doesn't, when it does, when the money doesn't trickle down, I don't have anything. I didn't have anything to pay collaborators right. and I won't do it that way again. Mm-hmm. I'll never do, I'll never do it that way. And I, I, I getting out of getting out of working with smaller publishers meant that that wouldn't happen anymore. That I had to the same, the same, um, the same way I deal with wrestling shows uh, is, you know, have the money in, in the envelopes Mm-hmm. when the work is done so that I can pay a wrestler off and they can go, thanks kingdom. And, and, and the night is done. I want to, with my comic book stuff, I rely on Kickstarter, but I say we get a first couple of pages together so that we can put it on a Kickstarter and show people what it's going to look like. And, and then we, we fund it. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I know your rate, and you do those first few sample pages, I can give you money for the sample pages, right? Right. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we you will make a deal where the Kickstarter pays for everything. And, you know, we we put our efforts into that. How Whatever. I want to make sure people are, if they're working with me, people are getting paid. Right. Lessons learned. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So, you, you know, the you have to, that has to be factor, factored into the creative process. Right. So let, you know, as we're, let's sort of round the corner here and, and sure. um, talk about your current project, 101 things in a thousand and one days. Yeah. So I, first of all, like, how did this start? Cause I love this and for, uh, for give, give listeners the, the, you know, the URL that they can go to, 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 to yeah, see this if unfold. It's working. Sometimes it doesn't work, which is weird and bothers me. Uh, 1001days.ca 1001days.ca if that if if that isn't working for you you know you can go to handsomegeniusclub.com you can go to rutgazer.com and and it's in the menu there so basically it's a bucket list with a time limit you write up a list of 101 things you want to do or experience or accomplish or bury in the desert whatever whatever tickles your fancy. Uh, and you have a thousand and one days to, to do as many things on that list as possible. And uh, I started it again on uh, April 9th, which was my 50th birthday. And it's still, it's starting off a little slow because, you know, Shawshank, but uh, a thousand and one days. That's fine. What's yeah. that? Like well, two and a half, three it's, years. It's, it's, it's two years, nine months. So, uh, but I don't want time to slip away. So uh, I have, uh, I have to add uh, at least one more thing to the list right now, because I I did another t-shirt design for my Patreon people. So that's on the list, five new t-shirts. I'll I'll smash that pretty quickly. But there's stuff on, there's travel stuff on there. There's publishing stuff there, you know, there's creative stuff, there's personal stuff, uh, you know, 
uh, is there something that you're most looking forward to on that list or, or, or most dreading? Uh, oh, uh, hold a man's heart while he dies. Shit, <laughs> that's, that's a different list. <laughs> is that, different is that early list. in the list or late in the list? Go full cartoon Bruce Lee on somebody. It, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything I'm looking forward to more than anything else. There's just a bunch of stuff on that list that I want to do. So yeah, so did, whatever did that... I accomplish on that list is, uh, is, is, is a bonus for me. And so it's interesting to me that you started it. I don't know if it was on your 50th birthday or, or sort of around that time, but on, on. Okay. So, so yeah. that, I mean, that's look, 50 is a good number, right? What, yeah. uh, what, what were you sort of contending with when, when you rounded the corner on 50 there? Same things I'm contending with now, a couple months later, uh, which are when, when society uh, gets back to 87% normal or whatever we're going to be able to achieve. You know, what is next? Do I continue doing for the next 10, 15, 20 years, the shit I've been doing for the past 20, 25, 30 years? You know, do I, do I settle? Do I, do I stay settled into a mildly pleasing routine or do I actively strive for a new normal with new experiences and new sources of income and you know, do <laughs> I think everybody's goal in the end is to be able to say fuck off to anybody on the planet and not care. And for a lot of people, that takes money. You need you need fuck off money. Right. For some people, it's 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 a part. I'm you know I I don't think he would, but I, I think the Pope could say fuck off to whoever he wanted. My dream is to be able to say fuck off to the pope so- <laughs> well not i just man i just offended somebody so yeah. much and i'm just joking it's nah. just, I'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say f you to the pope so i like i like how you qualified <laughs> saying f you to the pope as a joke but ripping a man's heart out and showing it to him that didn't get the joke qualifier that wasn't no, like, no i was just joking about that <laughs> no because that's because that's obvious. I'm not going to punch <laughs> through somebody's chest and pull their beating heart out and show it to them before they die. I'm you not gotta have goals. I'm right? not storm shadow. Mm. Uh, it's that's that's not going to happen. Right. But but telling the Pope to fuck. But I think people the, I right. think people might believe that if I ever had the chance to meet the Pope, right? I might tell him the fuck. I told Doug Ford in front of a crowd of people that he was ruining Ontario and he was the biggest loser we'd ever had as premier. (laughs) I had, I shook his hand. I put my other hand on his shoulder so he couldn't go anywhere. (laughs) Turned to the crowd and said, this guy is just the absolute worst ruining Ontario for, for more and more people each and every day. Thanks, buddy. And then I, I didn't even like, like it was an action movie. I just walked away from the explosion in slow mo, laughing. I didn't even turn back. I didn't even turn. Oh no, too many skeletons. (laughs) So yeah, cursing out the Pope is right. It's within the realm of like playing poker. I mean, 
Yeah, that's that's within your. He he might bet uh, with those two cards, you know. Like I, it's it's in my wheelhouse, but I won't. I promise I won't. <laughs> I love it. What's what's next on? Or I mean, how do you approach that list? Like do you like do you sort of know what's next? Or uh, no, I you know I every once in a while I look at the list. I think uh, this is the this is one I could do right now, or this is one I could uh, start some planning on. Mm. and and we kind of do it that way so you know uh the province is now is reopening again so there's going to be there's going to be a lot more opportunity to do things like you know uh, there's an item on the list uh learn to do or make five new things so the first one i tried is i made pickles and they're in my fridge right now I'm I I I opened one of the jars uh two days early, which was like two days ago. Uh I think tomorrow was uh the, the due date for them. And I opened them and I tried them and they're kind of soft, which is disappointing. Right. A soft pickle. So, Nobody likes a soft pickle. No, no. So it so that's disappointing. But I learned how to make them. There I can do it again. I I will probably do better the second time. Uh, but that was a thing that I could you know, make a quick trip to the supermarket and get what I needed and do it here. Right. To go skydiving is going to take a little more. It, it's, it's, it's not, it's not something I can say absolutely this day or time or tomorrow morning. That's got to be booked and paid for. And right. I got to sucker people into coming with me. So stuff that's going to take more planning and stuff that's going to take other businesses being open and ready to go that that's the stuff I'm going to start looking at now. Amazing. Well, I, I look yeah. forward to, to watching the, the journey progress. It's a, it's a great list. I encourage, uh, I encourage the listeners to, to check it out. Cause frankly, I look at that list. And so a, I would never have been able to come up with 101 things to do and B I wouldn't have been able to come up with a list as good as that. Cause I look at that and I'm like, Oh man, I know I want to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I very much look forward to seeing you well, uh, knock those off. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've been able to do a lot of really cool, dumb things in my life, <laughs> cool and or dumb. And, uh, um, but there's so much more that can be done. So why not, why not try? Yeah. Here's to trying to do more things. I love it. Yeah. All right, kids, that's it for today's episode. You know, the social media, my name is kingdom. Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and Patreon. Now is the time. Please join the Patreon. For the love of God, join the goddamn Patreon. As little as two bucks a month, you get exclusive Friday episodes. You get uh, comic strips with extra panels. You get videos. You get all kinds of stuff. Um, I've been pushing out content all this week. So please, come on support your uncle kingdom and uh t-shirts my name is kingdom.creator-spring.com in the show notes hit the link tree it'll take you to all my links everywhere merch and uh social media and all that shit all that damn shit. <laughs> uh if you're listening to this on thursday tonight dogs playing poker at twitch.tv slash my name is kingdom uh, and then Sunday, Sunday morning, 1030 or later, we will do the New York Times crossword puzzle on Twitch. Uh, all right. Great. 
If you're on the Patreon, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Otherwise, I'll talk to you on Monday for more of the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Take care of one another. Find some good trouble to get into. Your Uncle Kingdom loves you.